book of the Bible, do we? It's still here, you can still turn, you can still read it. And uh, since the Bible is settled in heaven, I guess we can read it in heaven too. So the Bible's never going away. Uh, Philippians 4 is our reading tonight. Philippians chapter 4. And we are going to read verse 14 through verse 23. Verse 14 through verse 23. And I know you just sat down, but this is one more chance to stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And the Bible says, However, you have done well that you shared in my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again for my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, chiefly those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right, let's have prayer together. And Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Please be seated. In Philippians chapter 4, we've seen the topic of peace, being at peace. And last week we looked specifically at the peace that's wrapped up in contentment. And Paul had told the Philippians that he had been able to do really well. And he had been able to do really poorly. He had been able to be full. And he had been able to be empty. And in all situations, he had learned to be content. Now there is a man of power. There is a man who's learned some things. And that's the context in which he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was him saying, I can go through any situation always knowing I have the strength of Christ. I can endure a time where times are very tight and difficult. I can go through times where there's plenty because I have Christ who strengthens me. Now, in verse 14 and following, he's going to talk about this gift that they sent him. And this gift came from the Philippians to Paul. And I want to talk just briefly about this church in context of, of past times. Um, Paul had gone to Philippi, 
And we remember there was Lydia that was saved, there was the jailer, and there was the demon-possessed girl. Those three were the seeds of the Church of Philippi. Others were added to them, of course. But um, very soon on in the life of this young church, they learned about giving. And Paul had taught them about giving, and he had raised money. If we could kind of try to think, he, he took three journeys, okay? Journey one, there was no church at Philippi. He didn't get there. Journey two, he made it to Philippi, and he started that church. Journey three, he spent most of his time in Ephesus, that's modern-day Turkey. And in journey three, he spent a lot of time in one city, years of time. I believe it was three years in Ephesus. And that, in, in that journey, he kind of started a really strong, big hub, strengthened the church of Ephesus. People were trained and sent out of there. And at the end of that journey, he took a trip over to where Philippi was, and he raised money for the poor saints of Jerusalem. And guess what church got on the giving bandwagon at that time? This young church of Philippi. And we can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me read real briefly. Moreover, brothers, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, one of which was Philippi. How in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their generosity. For I bear witness of their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves, asking us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and take on us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And they did this not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So they did participate in this offering for the, the Jerusalem saints. And so they learned giving there. But the, the other thing I want to point out about this text is it says they gave out of their poverty. They gave out of their poverty. That is an important point. Because most of us here are not uber wealthy. Um, I could just say all of us. Maybe I know my, my flock too well. But none of us are just loaded with money. And um, yet this church learned to give. Now, listen to something else that Paul told the church at Corinth about other churches giving to him while he served the church of Corinth. He said this, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was burdensome to no man. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied for me what was lacking. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will guard myself. This passage shows us that there were churches in Macedonia, I firmly believe Philippi was one of these churches, that helped Paul while he served in Corinth. So we have a church in Philippi that learned giving to give to the saints of Jerusalem. They had a history of giving to Paul. And when we read in Philippians 4, he talks about how they gave to him before. Notice verse 14, However, you have done well that you shared in my affliction. Paul tells this church we, that he is thankful. <clears throat> they have done well. They have done good, so to speak, in poor English, that you shared in my affliction. And this is one thing I want to bring out about giving here. Now, these first three verses, we find a history of sharing. All right, Verse 14 and 15 and 16. This church, the Philippian church, had a history of sharing. They had learned to give. <clears throat> Paul was going through difficulty. And notice he calls, in verse 14, he calls this affliction. Affliction. 
This word affliction literally means pressure. Any of you ever been under pressure? Any of you ever been under financial pressure? He says that he was under affliction. And this word literally means pressure, but it's, it's also understood or translated as distress, trouble, trial, and tribulation. And he says, you shared in my affliction. And that's one of the things about giving financially is at times when we give a gift to another believer, when we support a, a ministry or a missionary, and we send our hard-earned, hard-worked-for, sometimes even prayed-for funds that come in, and we send it to them, we are not just sending dollars, but we're joining in their affliction. You know what I mean by this? What I mean is that it's, it's kind of like a message that, that says this, I see you, I care, I am with you in this trial. Doesn't that speak more to than just your pocketbook? That speaks to your soul, doesn't it? Um, and, and Paul's saying, look, <laughs> when I got that gift from you, I realized you were with me in my affliction. You were joining me in my trial. You were strengthening me when I was weak. And, and he's complimenting them and he's congratulating them. And he's thanking them for this spirit. So they had a history of sharing. He, he brings this out even more directly in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. But you only. When he says the beginning of the gospel, he doesn't mean when Jesus died on the cross. He doesn't mean when Jesus ascended. He, he either means the beginning of his gospel ministry, um, which this was his second journey, so it might be a little difficult there. He might be referring to the beginning of the gospel in Philippi, as in when he came and gave them the gospel. And I think, I think that's more the idea where he's saying, <laughs> you know that from the very beginning of when the gospel came to you, that uh, when I left that Macedonian area, no church was, was helping me and, and giving to me, but you were. You were. And I tend to think they gave to him early. They helped support him early on. Um, I can't prove it, but I think that's what this verse is saying specifically. Uh, and he says, no other church uh, was helping me, giving and receiving, but you only. And so at that season, the Philippian church was his only supporting church. Now, can you imagine being a missionary with one supporting church? Right? Um, now, that's interesting. It's, it's interesting to me that we, now it doesn't prove it never happened, but, but Antioch sent him out. But I don't know that there's a, a Bible record that Antioch sent him money. Now, maybe when, they, when he left, they sent him off the money. I don't know. But um, at this point, he says, for this season, you were the only church that gave to me for that slice of time there, at least. Um, so this church had this history of giving. Let's also look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again for my necessity. Now, just real briefly, Thessalonica was quite close to Philippi in relative terms. I don't know if it was 20 miles or 30 miles, but on the map, they're pretty close together. But we still got to remember, when, when Paul talks about someone sending him money, it was not Western Union, it was not PayPal, it was not USPS, right? This was man with bag of coin, all right? That's how it went. That was the method. And, and so... This church had to hire someone, they had to designate someone, someone had to stop their other business and whatever it was, and they had to leave that church and they had to walk with the money all the way to Paul and then they had to come back. 
And he says, once and again, you sent to my necessity. But let's remember this. Rome is a lot further away than Thessalonica. Philippi to Rome, like Philippi is in Greece, okay? The land of Greece. Rome is in Italy. What's between Italy and Greece? Some geography majors? What's between Italy and Greece? Not mountains. Water. I think it's called the Aegean Sea. Could be wrong. I have to brush up on my, my uh, geography. But, so what that meant is he had to go up and around the land route, most likely, unless he took a boat, but up and around the land route, and then he had to come down into Italy, down into Rome with this money. So this church had sent him funds, and remember where he's at. He's writing this from home confinement, apartment confinement, um, chained to a Roman soldier, but in his own rented house, the Bible says. So he needs these funds. And here's this church. He's writing them a thank you. He's giving them a response to their gift to him. Now, in verse 17, I want you to see the, a motive of reward. Paul had a motive of reward. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says he desired this gift. But he didn't desire it because of the need that he had. He desired it for the fruit that would abound to their account. I think Paul had... Uh, <laughs> Paul was a little funny about, about money. Um, I say funny. That's probably not the right word. He was sensitive about it. And he, he never wanted someone to think he was out to take their money. And that's a good attitude for Christians to have, isn't it? And he says here, he says, I, I wanted you to give to this, but not because I wanted the need to be gone necessarily, but because I wanted fruit that would abound to your account. I think what it, how it worked is this. Paul saw the need as removed from himself. He just saw the need of the, the problem itself. And he knew that the Philippian church was a giving church. And I think in his heart, he saw A and B, and he thought, man, it would be great. I hope they'll give to this need. I, I hope they will. Because um, they're the kind of church that would, and uh, that, that will be fruit for them in eternity. They, they will receive a reward from God himself if they will give to meet this need. And I, there's so much here to learn about this church at Philippi, but there's also a lot to learn about Paul and the way he thought in his heartbeat, right? Paul was not selfish about this. And um, he truly wanted them to have fruit in their account. Um, these, are, these terms that he uses are, are monetary terms. Um, fruit that may abound to your account. Those terms, fruit and abound and account, are financial terms. Uh, we would think of them the fruit idea we would think of in terms of interest or maybe dividends and he's saying that there's an account that the philippians have can i tell you this account was not at fifth third and it was not at bank of america this account was located at a much better bank this account was located up in heaven and he says i want fruit to abound to your account and christian you have an account too and here's the deal when the world looks at you i think of this with missions giving a lot um, the world would look at you with, with giving money to faith promise every month and they would say just think if you invested that in the S&P 500 over 40 years time just think how much money you could have and you know what they're right perhaps to an extent if they can predict how the S&P will do but Christian just think 
just think of your account in heaven. And when you go there, and you find the people from all the distant lands, and when you hear the choir sing praise to God, and you know that your money helped send a message that helped bring people to stand around that throne, believe me, you will say to yourself, I invested my money well. I put my money in a great account because it's bearing eternal dividends. And he says to this church, I want fruit that will abound to your account. I hope you don't uh, ever think of giving to missions or giving to God's work, tithing to this church as money poorly spent. I hope you never think that way. Because the next soul that is saved in this church, the next one that is in there declaring their faith and is publicly being baptized, guess what? That is all fruit that abounds to our account. As we give, as we witness, as we pray, God is keeping the records. And so he's, he tells this church, I, I, I desire this gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Um, I'm sorry, he says, I, not because I desire a gift. Now in verse 18, he says, uh, and this is really interesting. I want you to see this in verse 18. Um, I call this a scent of sweetness. There's several important things in this verse. He says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So the first point is that he just tells them, I've received the gift. All right, I, I got it came from Epaphroditus, that's the one, that's the bag with money, man, man with bag, okay, that's Epaphroditus, and he says, I received the gift, so in a way you could call this little, little verse 18 a giving receipt, okay, on Sunday I think a lot of you got giving receipts um, for giving to the church, Paul says, hey, I got it, I got the gift, I got what you sent me, it came by Epaphroditus' hand, I got it, and he's, but notice what it meant for him, what it meant for him is that it says, I have all and abound. I am full. And I want to show you that what happened here is very, very interesting. Paul had a need. The Philippians had money. Maybe not a lot of money. We don't know. They might have given out of their poverty. But they had some money. They had something. And Paul had a need. And they send Epaphroditus. So here comes money, right? And once Paul has the money, the need is now gone because he has the money. And he says, I'm full. Now, this is going to take on a little more meaning when we get to verse 19. Because what about the Philippians at that point? We'll get to that in just a minute. But you remember that when we get to verse 19. So Paul's need is now gone and he's full. He, he's abounding. He has plenty now because he's received all the things that Epaphrodite sent. I wonder what those things were. Now, we know there was some money there of some sort. Um, he calls it a gift and a need, and it's very evident that there was probably some money. But it might have been physical things, too. Maybe clothes were sent, maybe books, maybe food, um, maybe some other supplies that he needed. I wonder if they sent blank parchment paper for him to write on. Wouldn't that be something? Um, but he says, I've received the things that were sent from you. And the other piece that I want us to see, and when we think of the Philippians and we think of Paul, it's very easy to think in these two terms. We have the gift giver and the gift receiver. Right? But there's a third party. The third party that we often don't think of 
is God himself. Notice what the rest of the verse says. He says, I've received the things that were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The gift that they gave was this odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So God saw the Philippians with their funds. God saw Epaphroditus bringing this gift. God saw Paul getting it. And God looked at this transaction and it came up before him as a pleasant scent. Like incense. Like perfume. Like steak on a Saturday night. I don't know what it was. But it was a good smell, okay? And it comes up before the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever done a smell like this, but you go, ah, and you're pleased. Ah, and you're, you're thrilled. You're satisfied, whatever it is. And God is watching this. And oh, if there's something that could help us in our giving, it's simply this. God sees our giving. He sees it. Just like the Bible says, Jesus sat at the temple and he watched the people giving and he watched the widow throw in her two mites. Christ saw that. And so it is here that when Epaphroditus comes with his gift and it gets placed into the hand of Paul, God is watching over this and he's seeing this and his heart is thrilled. It's thrilled. This is the giving heart. This is the privileges and the blessings that God gets to... I guess I shouldn't say it that way. It's, it pleases his heart to watch his children give. He works in their heart. He provides the need. He watches them give. You know, in the really big picture, I don't, I don't know if this has ever puzzled you, but it sometimes has puzzled me. I'm like, so here's a Christian that has more than they need, and here's a Christian who's in need, and God's the one who set that up? Like, why didn't he just take, you know, why, why didn't he just give both of them, you know, give less to this person and more to this person, and then it's all done, you know? Why all this hand exchanging going around? Why didn't why doesn't he just distribute equally to his children? But as I read my Bible, it's very evident that God does not distribute equally to his children. There are some who have more than others. Now, why is this? Well, there's probably more than one reason, because God is so good and so great and so smart that he has many reasons for the things he does. But one of them is probably because he wants to use this spiritual gift of giving to teach people things. You know, it teaches me something when I have to pray and say, dear God, I don't, I don't have this. I need this. That teaches me something. And you know what? It also teaches me something when I have more than I need and I have extra funds in the bank, and you know what the temptation is, is to go on a spending spree, and, you know, it teaches me to look to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with this money? I'm, I'm, I'm your servant. How do you want me to spend this money? You know, it teaches both children of his, and then God gets to watch the one give to the other, and it comes up before him like a sweet smell in his nostrils. God does everything perfectly, and this is no exception to the rule. And then we get to this verse, this famous well-known verse, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now this is the truth that I never ever saw before with this verse. I know people, uh, I've heard some people say this promise only applies to those who give to missions. Well, there was a time in my life I didn't give to missions, and you know what? My needs were provided by the Lord. I don't think it's just limited to people who give to missions. And in fact, God is kind enough and merciful enough most of the time to provide the needs of people that sometimes don't even give. 
But I think the thing that jumped out to me is this. Do you remember how I said earlier the Philippians had the money, then they gave it to Paul, his need disappeared because the gift came, and Paul writes back to the Philippians, my God shall supply all your need. He's saying it to the people that just met his need. And you know what I realized? This, this was written to people that were giving. It, it wasn't written in to, hey, you people that have a need, God's going to meet the need. It was written to people that had just given to meet his need. And you know what the temptation is for us in our giving? Well, I can't give this. I can't give this to the Lord because I'm, I gotta, I, if I give this away, then I'm going to be in need. Right? And so I can't give this. No, anything but, yeah, I, I got to hold on to this. Now, granted, there are sometimes we have the money, we have the bill, we pay the bill, right? I mean, it's, it's right there. But a lot of times our needs are future off there, right? They're, they're yet to come. Sometimes God even works where we, we do have a need, and yet he calls us to give to someone else in that moment. That's happened. It does happen. And he says this, my God, my God, the one that I pray to, the one that I serve, the one I introduce you to, my God is going to supply your need. And so don't, don't let your giving, don't, don't think that God hasn't seen your giving, and don't think that just because you have a need now that God's going to forget you. God will not forget his children. He will meet your need. I'm thankful this verse can be applied to more than just finances. Finances. It can be applied to other needs as well. We have a God who meets needs. Now, in context, it's in reference to finances and all that's gone on there. Um, a quick couple, also quick notes here. Um, God has promised to meet our need, not our greed. And so there's a difference between needs and wants. I think maybe it was last week or a couple weeks ago, Miss Debbie reminded us of that in application to one of these passages here. Um, I think this is a verse to teach us to give. I always thought this verse was a verse to teach us to pray. Dear Lord, please provide my needs, which we should pray, right? But it's a verse to teach me to give. My God shall supply all my needs so I can give. I can give as he leads me. I can give obediently. I can tithe. I can give to missions. I can give as he leads me because my God will supply all my needs. You know, one of the big myths I think it's a big myth. One of the big myths is that God does his work through rich people only. That's a myth. That's a big myth. Now, I know there are some wealthy people, and they give a lot. Sometimes they give sacrificially. Sometimes they give, you know, far and above, maybe percentage-wise, what others do, and so on and so forth. But, you know, a lot of God's work is simply done by people paycheck to paycheck, working their regular wage job. They don't have great, you know, big assets and massive savings and funds and all that. They, they're simply people that say, Lord, here's my five loaves and two fishes. And I know if I give to you today, there'll be lunch for me tomorrow because you've promised to provide my need. I can trust you. This is verse 19. It's written to, to teach us to give. I hope we will learn this lesson of giving. Now, much to say, but uh, we'll stop there with verse 19. Verse 20 and following is um, just the final verses, um, a, a greeting, if you will, um, words of greeting, words of closing. He says, Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Let me just say about that, he, he doesn't say greet all the saints. He says greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This verse teaches us that every believer is a saint. And in fact, if you keep reading, he says the brothers who are with me greet you. That is the brothers in Christ. And then verse 22 says all the saints greet you. Chiefly those who are of Caesar's household. Well, this is showing us that saint and brother and saint are all the same, right? And so the Catholic idea of saint is you have to do a miracle and you have to, I don't know what their categories are to be a saint. God's word is much more simple. If you're saved by Christ, you're a saint. And um, I don't generally go around saying, hello, saint, you know, so-and-so. I generally don't do that. Um, might get a rise out of certain people, I suppose. But it is true. Saint Esther and Saint Debbie and Saint each one of us, if we're Christ, we are a saint. But he says, greet every saint. And I think this is a simple truth that every child of God deserves a brother's greeting. I know they're not every child of God's a Baptist. I know that. But if they're God's child, then that makes them my brother. And uh, there's a certain level of, of love and, and respect that we ought to have toward every saint of Christ. The brothers who are with me greet you. And these are some other, um, other saved folks who are sending greetings back to Philippi. Um, <clears throat> perhaps ones that have been there or ones that knew them. And then verse 22, all the saints greet you, chiefly those who are of Caesar's household. Now, I don't know why he would send special greetings from these ones. But this is a great verse that shows us the gospel had gotten this close to Caesar. I don't know how, I don't know, the, how, the term household would, would imply his whole palace, okay? So it's not just family, it would imply servants and staff and you know, maybe even advisors, depending on the term. But the point is this. Remember how he was chained to those Roman guards who were the special guards of Caesar? They had taken Christ into the household. And I believe others have been saved. We don't know who. If it was slaves of Caesar, if it was advisors of Caesar. We certainly don't have a historical reason to think it was Caesar himself because Caesar was who at this time? Nero, all right. But... Um, but we would certainly at least assume that someone, some in the household there, had received Christ, and Paul was just thrilled. Uh, I think we talked about this earlier in chapter 1, about the gospel spread, and Paul had prayed that an open door would be given to him to the gospel. And then he started seeing these soldiers spread the gospel. And here, these soldiers had taken the gospel into Caesar's household, at least that's how we believe it took place. And, um, and he says, we send greetings from those who are of Caesar's household. You know, it probably was a big deal to have any connection to Caesar, right? And now if these brothers in Philippi had a gospel connection to those in Caesar's household. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace. Paul ends with grace. The kindness of God that is undeserved. The grace of Christ is our ever-present need. The grace of Christ is our ever-present supply. The grace from God is what we need day by day. And Paul says, grace be with you. Grace of God, may it be yours 
May you live in it. May you know it. May you taste it. May you see it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, this is the book of Philippians. There's so much to be learned. I hope you've enjoyed going through it. I hope not. It hasn't just been an intellectual exercise or a um, philosophical exercise, but I hope it's been a, a learning time in our spirits and our souls to learn about humility, about the joy of the Lord, about peace, about abiding and knowing Christ. There's a great deal in the book of Philippians. Well, let's close in prayer tonight. And as we pray, I will pray that God will teach us about giving and that uh, we'll take any questions or comments after that. Lord God, we thank you tonight for these closing verses of this book. Such a beautiful and a wonderful book. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this church at Philippi. And I pray that every nation would be like this church at Philippi. May we be a church that gives to those in need. May we be a church that does not look at what we don't have, but what we do have. And I pray, dear God, that you will strengthen our giving capacity. We want to do more for your name. And um, Lord, just recently, you've really helped the mission fund. And we praise you for that. And we want to sustain and support these missionaries. At various points, we've been able to help with other needs. And sometimes individually, sometimes as a church. And I pray that we'll recognize that to give is a privilege and that you see it and you recognize it and, and it matters to you, O oh God. Help us to have this heart like this Philippian church did and help us to live in this reality. You will meet our needs. You always will meet our needs. You promised it and therefore we can give. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our heart here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.